Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up, Simon Mayo fills us in on his new contemporary thriller, Knife Edge. Soul soother Joss Stone speaks to us from Nashville about her single Walk With Me. The incredible Dame Kelly Holmes brings us tales from the great celebrity Bake Off for Stand Up To Cancer. And James Newman gets us ready for summer with his song Embers, which is the UK's entry for this year's Eurovision Song Contest. But before all that, here's Maria. <gasps> is she there? I am Graham. Oh, I'm here. Phew, 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 Barney McGrew. Uh, nice to hear it. How are you? I'm having technical problems this morning, Graham. So it's turned me into a little old lady of 85 who doesn't understand the internet. Oh, do you mean those technical? <laughs> it's not like your hip's broken or something. Oh, OK. <laughs> I'm having technical problems. I can't walk. Uh, well, well done, you. Uh, have you. You haven't had your jab yet, have you? No, 23rd of March, the same okay. day as we went into lockdown last year. Seems somehow upside. Uh, Cheryl in Edinburgh has some advice for us both. Oh, yes. What's yes. that, Graham? Uh, she's a practice nurse. They don't recommend taking paracetamol for a just-in-case scenario as it can interfere with your immune, immune response to the vaccine. <laughs> Only take if you get a fever post-vaccine. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Oh, are you, okay. have you started taking paracetamol already? <laughs> no. <laughs> I take no, them daily no, as a matter of no. course anyway. <laughs> no, I do not. I do not. Graham, this week, do you know what I've been obsessed with? <laughs> uh, the sea? <laughs> no, no, no. Somebody put something on on Twitter, which was, you know, my wife has been sent something from a PR company and I'm very obsessed with the box. This is a good box, he put, and I um, <laughs> fully endorsed his box because, I, as you know, I remember carting something back from your house once. I think it's some, it contained wine, but it was a big box and I carted it back from your house to mine. Uh, I love a box. And then since saying that on the Twitter, lots of people have been saying, yes, I have a box obsession too. Not, you know, not things that deliver is coming those sort of you know half half-hearted sort of cardboard boxes but a proper wooden box that you can put stuff in to store do you like those no oh well now marie you see now i feel guilty why because because there is a box here with your name on it oh yes it's addressed to you and me it's from the irish tourism board for st patrick's day i sent you the picture of your uh, finger dancing puppet I know, and I would have tweeted that had I not been having technical problems turning me into an 85-year-old. But I will put the picture up of our finger puppets because I adore it more than I can say, Irish Tourist Board. Uh, because you're... I did, you, I, you did Irish dancing as a child, didn't you? Of course I did, with a name like McCurlane, but I was too flaily. You know that thing, you have to keep your arms, don't you? But Loose. By your sides. Loose-limbed. Loose-limbed. Yes. But did you have you know, the acrylic? Did you have the acrylic ginger curls uh, clipped to the back of your head? No, I never. We never quite went that far. But I used to wear my communion dress to do it, which, as you remember, they were very, very much um, no stranger to man-made fibres. There, um, no smoking. Watch the children. That's right. You couldn't get near. A, you couldn't Irish dance near a naked flame. Let's put it that way. No. And, and I found it really difficult to do the not moving my arms around. I'm far too expressive. <laughs> yes, I, we did it for a little bit in school, and then I don't know why we just stopped. We just we did it for a couple of years, and then obviously government changed. They went, no, don't bother teaching them that. It's rubbish. We're never going to host yeah. the Olympics. What's the point? I <laughs> mean, I do love to watch it, and I did attend a Michael Flatley uh, concert where I watched the Irish dancers, and it was very uplifting. Come on! But I think purists purists uh, would say that Michael Flatley's something else, wouldn't they? I don't know. I know nothing. Oh, you're going to start a debate, Graham. You, a you've heated moved me debate. Away from my box cleverly. <laughs> you have moved me away from my box obsession very cleverly. Well, I just I think just like there's only say. there's only so many dog activities you can make. <laughs> so, how many boxes do you need? <laughs> no, these are boxes for storing things in. I've been trying to chuck things out. I'm oppressed by stuff at the moment. I realise. Well, are you? Well, I've got so many of, you know, those woven picnic hamper baskets, because every time somebody sends me a hamper, you obviously a guzzle whatever's in it. And then you I sort of feel like I can't throw that out 
But so now I've got, I must have, I don't know, eight, ten of them. I was like, how many picnics? Are, like, what sort of mad picnic holiday am I going on that requires eight hampers? <laughs> so I must find something to do with them. Because they're too nice to throw away because they've got leather straps and they're all lovely. I know. I love that. That's a first world problem. Uh, people send me so many hampers. <laughs> I just don't know what to... I just remember when I, do you remember when I, I temporarily had a shop? which we raised money for a, a homeless charity. Oh, yeah, the locally. thing you thought you'd enjoy and then discovered... I thought <laughs> I would enjoy it. And then people just brought me their problems and left their rucksacks of problems <laughs> on my shoulders instead. But a lady came in. We had a lovely window display with one of those. It's a well-known London store, F&M. And um, she said, oh, can I buy that box, please, for Christmas? And I said, oh, it's part of the window display. But if you come back on Christmas Eve, you can buy it. So dutifully she did and then because it was christmas eve i said i don't want to sell it to you anymore i'm going to give it to you Aww. and then she started crying and oh. that was a bad thing because now i had her problems as well <laughs> <laughs> in my own m&m yes. hamper because you do think if someone's crying over a free box there, there's more going on there well you realize you know that sometimes life is very difficult for people and so then i felt obliged to fill the box with certain things from the shop <laughs> So that she'd have a nice Christmas. And, and then and, I felt compelled to invite her for Christmas lunch. No, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't do that. And, that and also you, you filled it through things so that you wouldn't have to reopen the shop after Christmas. <laughs> Ever. Uh, everything's gone. Bye. Do Talk you think that you want to run a shop, people? Um, just think again, because... Selling things, oh, for goodness sake, this morning can't get any worse. Look, I'll let you go deal with that. Find some letters and we'll have Graham's Guide. Virgin Radio. Graham's Guide. Have you got a first letter? I have. If you just wait a minute, the postman will surely arrive and that will be a nice <laughs> interruption. Yeah, Dolly okay. will cheer us up. Okay, here we go. Here's my first letter. Dear Graham and Maria, I'm in my mid-thirties and have two beautiful daughters. The youngest is four. And when I had her, I had to have a C-section. That's a cesarean for those people that don't know. As she was 10 pounds and overdue. Big baby. As a result, my abdominal muscles have separated and I've got excess skin on my stomach that no amount of weight loss will get rid of. I loved wearing bikinis before, even after the birth of my first daughter. But my stomach is, so na is now so misshaped that I no longer feel comfortable and it's impacted my body image. <clears throat> the physio has advised me that the only way to get rid of my previous tummy is surgery. That would be around 1,500 pounds. My husband says he loves my body as it is now, but I can't stop thinking about how I could have my stomach back. I'm torn, let's hope not, would, would having the surgery be a bad example or give the wrong message to my daughters in terms of body positivity? And that is from Liz in Hampshire. Liz in Hampshire, I feel your pain. It's a very difficult one, but these are battle scars of beautiful things. You have got two gorgeous daughters, and people, I'm sure, have said all this to you before. You wear them with pride. You wear your stretch marks. You wear your little jelly belly overhang. You wear all the things that got you these two beautiful human beings with pride. But I understand the body image thing. I would have to say to you, Liz in Hampshire, £1,500 do not go to whoever is offering you a tummy tuck for £1,500. I looked it up and that is just, I mean, I don't know if this is in a foreign clinic, which is, you know, people would advise you already to not go there because if you go to somewhere reputable in this country where you live, you can go back there if something goes wrong. Also, Liz in Hampshire, this is a major operation. You have a general anaesthetic, which are have the, their own risks. Um, please do your research. £1,500 is way, way too low. I've looked it up. It goes from four and a half grand to 10,000. Depends on how long the aftercare is. So that is crazy. Your husband loves you as you are. Uh, it's a really small thing. And when you say I used to wear bikinis before, wear your bikinis. You know, the beach body ready nonsense. You've got a body, you've got a bikini, you are ready. Wear those, that little tummy with pride and 
you know, nobody's perfect. As the old Japanese saying goes, it's how the light gets in. And you have had a perfect body that has given you two gorgeous children. Um, Graham, sorry, I'm wanging on now. Well, I just think, yes, Liz, there are two things you never look for a bargain in, and that's sushi and plastic surgery. Uh, always pay top dollar for sushi and plastic surgery. <laughs> Don't don't discount either of those. You will regret it. Um, so don't go the cheap route. I, I do feel for you because the thing is, you know, it's not like, oh, I've used my body. I've, I've, I've had the joy out of it. I'm, you know, I'm whatever. I'm in my 70s. I'll, what, who cares? This is a woman who's in her mid-30s and obviously was very proud of her body. And I'm not saying that in a, in a bad way. I mean, good. She obviously was gorgeous, loved wearing a bikini, felt very proud and confident of her body. And so, you know, to say, oh, wear your battle scars with pride, da, 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 it's lovely. It's a lovely idea. But that's an enormous leap to make in your brain from look at me, I look fabulous, to please don't look at me because I don't like the way I look. And I don't quite know. I'm with you, Maria. I think it's an awful lot of money and it's a huge risk to take. But but I don't know how you make that mental leap and actually well, get Graham, comfortable with pe- your kid. I see people on the beach in bikinis, um, you know, all shapes and sizes. And it's how you do it. And also, as my grandmother used to say rather helpfully, who's looking at you? This, you know, we're all so self-absorbed. Yeah. We're all so concerned about our own flaws and dimples and wobbly bits. But, you know, if you do something and you're enjoying it, you've got your radiating positivity and joy for your daughters as well. So, yes, in terms of body positivity, what happens when you have a baby is your body changes. And if you've got a little bit of a wobbly tummy, then that's part of that. You know, as you say, you've, you've dieted, this won't go away. I'm really urging you not to have surgery because... You know, and also don't wear a one piece if it bothers you that much. But really, nobody is that bothered anymore. We all just look for the joy and we all just look for somebody confidently parading, which is what you must do for your children. You must, whatever you wear, just do it with confidence. So they see mum knows how to work with what she's got. She's, you know, using her body. Her body is a tool that is beautiful, whatever shape and size it is. And by the way, Graham, when you say, if you're 70 and you go, I don't care anymore, my body's done its thing. There are a lot of 70-year-olds shouting at the radio saying, wait a minute, Graham Norton. We're not done yet. We're still exercising. Well, We're still looking fabulous. Please don't send me your bikini pics. Uh, We don't need them. (laughs) You, I've seen your collection of bikini pics <laughs> of the over 70s, both male and female. Um, I feel for Liz because I just, I, I agree with everything you're saying, Maria. It's just, I don't know how Liz makes that enormous leap to that point. Kate in Pembrokeshire has written in. My husband looked at me as this letter was read out and said, this is you. I was the same. My advice would be give it time. I mean, that is the thing. It is only four years. I know that seems like a long time, but actually in terms of your muscles knitting back and your body settling back into itself, four years isn't that long. Uh, I'm now much more confident about wearing a bikini than I was and there are some great workouts online. Although my muscles will never knit back together, I am strong and fit and feel so much better about how I look. Well, thank you for that positive message, Kate in Pembrokeshire. Uh, Jay in Bristol, I've got 12-inch scars like a cross on my stomach due to a 10-hour cancer surgery, plus the wobbly belly due to weight loss. Who cares? We're alive. Um, Victoria from Stratford-upon-Avon, my advice would be buy some high-waisted bikini bottoms that are currently very on trend. Yes, like those kind of 1950s starlet um, bikinis. Yeah, that, that would work. And then you'd have the best of both worlds. You'd kind of tuck yourself in and be wearing a bikini. Uh, Kathy in South Wales, you are gorgeous as you are and you won't be letting your daughters down. But if you can learn to love yourself for the beauty you are, that's a beautiful lesson to teach them when they're older. Uh, Mike in Yorkshire, I think your caller should find a new physio who's willing to be more optimistic and more dedicated to getting her through this. My wife had the same issue after having our two lovely children. It just took time and good physio and her tummy muscles are recovered. Your family will love you, whatever. Body positivity is about loving your body for you. Um... 
if you want a tummy tuck for your own reasons and not to please other people, then go for it. But I agree, £1,500 sounds like a dangerous price for something so significant. I mean, it is one of those things, it's a lot of money, £1,500, but it's not a lot of money to have surgery. Uh, so, yes, that is an odd, yes, peculiar. You have to do what makes you happy, but honestly, I bet you look fab. Might be worth chatting to someone to help with self-esteem issues if it's overwhelming you. Tilly in Leatherhead. And I certainly think it might be worth talking to someone to try and shift your mental attitude because it's such a big leap. If you if you found your self-esteem in how you looked in a bikini, it's very hard, I think, to move on without someone helping you. You know, we can say all the, the, the right things about, oh, just love yourself for yourself and blah, blah, blah. But actually, that's a huge gear change. Uh, your husband is right. Your body's amazing. Learning to love her as she is could be the best thing for you, Leah in Kilburn. And finally, Liz, you have a husband and two wonderful daughters. If your life is happy, then please don't do it. It will never be as perfect as you imagine it to be. All our bodies change over time. Be confident, Liz. You are are beautiful. Isn't that the truth? Graham's Guide. Uh, hey, have you got another letter? Here we go. <clears throat> Hello, Graham and Maria, says a listener to Virgin Radio. I've been invited by a good friend to their lockdown 40th birthday celebrations via Zoom. I obviously want to attend, but one of our mutual friends will also be there, who I've decided to remove from my life because her behaviour was toxic to me and my mental health. How do I cope with this scenario? That's from Paula in Lanarkshire. Um, Paula in Lanarkshire, first of all, a 40th celebration via Zoom sounds just awful to me. <laughs> I mean, what do you do? To, have you done this, Graham? Do you stand there with a drink and then just look into the camera forlornly as if, you know, having an existential crisis? I mean, it seems to me that it's easy to avoid this person that you have deleted from your life because of their toxicity um, because everybody's in a tiny little screen and so everybody just talks over each other don't they and then they drink and then someone puts on some ABBA and you dance I don't know have you been to a 40th birthday celebration Graham um, I, oh. go, on, go on no I thought it was a question <laughs> Yeah, it, it was. It was. It's sort of rhetorical. Because okay, I know you so I, I thought you were actually asking. That's why I was... No, I am actually asking. <laughs> no, I haven't been to a birthday party. I've been to kind of get-togethers on Zoom. Um, and it's very... E I, I would say, Paula, this is a kind of an ideal scenario. Yeah. Because it's very easy. You just... If, so long as you show up in the initial grid, then you're there. And then actually, you can sort of fade into the background, read a book, watch telly, <laughs> just whatever, because people don't kind of notice if you're not joining in. Um, and you don't really do one-to-ones, because I was thinking, if she, in her little square on the Zoom, I don't know how many people are going to be there, if she asks you a question, I think all you do, Paula and Alexia, is you stay very, very still and stare at blankly ahead as if your screen has frozen. Don't you do that, Graham? Or just mute yourself and pretend you're so incompetent you can't unmute yourself and just, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, do but, shrugging shoulders, acting. Yeah, but I would say to Paula, I think, though, Paula should take this as a good moment to kind of think about this because yes you've deleted this person from your life but you haven't deleted them from planet earth these it, these things are going to happen you're going to bump into these people you're going to be at a party and there they are i mean i've done this with very few people in my life but there's a couple and uh, and i have seen them and you've got to you, you can't hide. You can't be a child about it because you made the decision to get rid of them. And you've got to own that decision. And what I do, if they talk to... I don't go up to them at a party to talk to them, but if they talk to me, I, t I talk to them. Oh, there's Dolly and the Postman. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was going to say, you're absolutely right. When we come out of lockdown, this is going to happen. And this pointless doing that thing of I'm blanking you because, you know, we're not nine in a school playground and, you know, you can't really blank someone. So you close down a conversation quickly. You know, hello, how are you? Close down. I'm just going to get another drink. And they will get the message from that. So there's no point being hostile. I think you can be perfectly civil. Yeah. But with a frostiness that tells them, don't ask me a question again. Otherwise, I'll be forced to, to do something I don't want to know. I mean, you know, that's all you have to do in life. There's, you're not going to love everybody. This person was toxic to you, so you're not going to have a one-to-one -one with her ever. But as far as this Zoom goes, 
I think you can just drink a lot and do some dancing and really don't have anything to do with this tiny square of person in the corner of your computer. It seems easy. Yes, I must say, I think this is easier than going into a room. And also because in a way it's harder for this toxic friend to corner you by the buffet to go, why do you not reply to my emails? Uh, mm. You know, it's harder to do that on a 40th Zoom call uh, in front of everybody. So I just think this is as safe as this situation is ever going to be. But I do think, Paula, think on because this is the first time this has happened and you're lucky that it's happening in this virtual way but you are going to be you know this person is obviously in another good friend's life so you are going to be at social events where they're physically there you might bump into them in the shops whatever and you don't want to walk around you've done this thing you've got rid of them and mm. hopefully that's improved your life that this toxic also, person isn't there but equally you then don't want to be walking around frightened that you're going to bump into them. Also, I would say, Graham, just as a final rejoinder, um, that perhaps does this person know that they've been removed from your life? I mean, are, because you're still carrying this around. You're still sort of, you know, dancing around and hiding in doorways metaphorically because you don't want them in your life. But do they know? Because sometimes to sort of bring closure to something and to stop you having to do that, it's quite good to say... I felt your behavior was be becoming rather detrimental to my mental health. So I have decided, you know, that we don't really need to engage anymore because they may not know. They may be under the impression that everything is fine. So it might be a good scenario at a later date. Don't use the 40th birthday celebration to spoil <laughs> everything. <laughs> to, um, to let this person know and just kind of, it's always better to talk. It's always better rather than just to stop things dead. Really? I, I just I think know. I just think it prolongs the agony. It, there's no good conclusion to that conversation. So why have it? Well, Graham, when you blanked me, I just moved in outside <laughs> your house in a tent and just posted things through your letterbox. And daily. finally, some finally, some of them nice, yeah. some of them not. We broke it a piece. Uh, has anyone got advice for Paula in Lancashire? I'm sure lots of people have done this, had this done to them. Uh, Virgin Radio listeners, please help. Definitely address the friendship problem, but wait for a later date for sure. Otherwise, you'll always be worried about these things. Go to the Zoom for half an hour for your friend. It'll be fine. That's from Jess in Merseyside. Gerald and Cardiff. My advice is simple. A, zoo, a, a Zoom. A Zoom as the Zoom party commences. Locate your nemesis on the screen. Oh, hello. And then place a post-it note over their face. Thus confining them to out of sight, out of mind, oblivion. P.S. If you're really brave, this also works in real life. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do that. I think that will just make the situation a, a lot worse, uh, Gerald in Cardiff. Uh, Craig and Lucy in Haven't. Let's be honest. The Zoom call will be boring because, let's face it, they always are. Why not liven it up by calling out their toxic behaviour in front of everyone and add some fireworks to a rather dull 40th birthday party? Well, it would make it memorable, but I, I'm not sure that's wise. Uh, you know, right now, she's on the moral high ground. Paula's sitting pretty. Uh, you don't want to change that. Christine is in Newmarket. Uh, just have a few drinks. Be the bigger person. Say hi to the one you blocked and move on. And that is what you've got to do, you know, because... Because uh, if you don't say hi to them and get over this thing, then they're still being bad for your mental health. Because you're you're living with a kind of a dread and a fear. You are going to see them. So this is I think this is a great way. This is like kind of your training wheels on your bike in terms of moving forward. Just say hello. I don't think Paula should worry about joining. If you don't bring it up, but the other person does, the likelihood is that they will only embarrass themselves. In this case, you could always call you could always follow Jackie Weaver's lead. And remove them from the call. Jacob and Huddersfield. Yes, if we've learned anything in lockdown, it's how to be Jackie Weaver in a Zoom call. Uh, it's all very well to just join in if there are 50 other people there. But I'm thinking, what if everybody else feels the same way and only you turn up? I'd check out the guest list if you can. Bunty and Cheadle. Bunty and Cheadle knows Zoom calls can go horribly wrong. Uh, Sandy in Whitley Bay. Oh, now. This has happened to me twice. Both instances, the blocked person was rude and brought the topic up in the party. This probably isn't what Paula needed to hear. Um, actually, it just confirmed that they had been 
frenemies and not worth being around. Put your best smile on and rise above it. You've been invited to the party, so put your crown on and brave face. And I think that is, that's the bottom line, isn't it? You you know, why should this person mean that you don't go to a party? Now, if you don't want to go to the party, it's a handy excuse. But if you want to go to the party, go. Because, you know, you made a decision and you've got to stand by the decision. And clearly you're not missing this person. So fire ahead. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Broadcaster, cinephile, now best-selling author, and he brings us his latest, Knife Edge, out now in paperback. Simon Mayo should be joining us. Hello, Simon Mayo. Hello, hello, Graham. How are you? Good morning. Nice to talk to you again. Uh, so nice to talk to you. Yeah. Um, so, Knife Edge, uh, you yes. know, I think people, when they start writing books and they find some success, they kind of think, right, I'll stick to that genre. Simon Mayo... No, uh, you had huge success with Mad Blood Stirring, uh, an historical uh, drama, but this very different. Yes, that, it sounds though you've been talking to my editor. Oh, uh, that's right. Let's <laughs> uh, say, can you please just stick in one style? Well, I think I've always thought that I've written thrillers, and the first three happened to be children's thrillers. The fourth one was a YA thriller. Mad Blood Stirring was a sort of historical thriller, and this is a contemporary thriller. So I kind of think they're all thrillers, but I agree it, it might be helpful if I just make the next one a contemporary thriller. But so, well, yes, you should because point. you're really good at it. Because these are kind of a, they're tricky books to to get right, but this is so pacey and twisty, turny, and yet plausible. Uh, and when I say pacey, I mean what is it? Seven people die in under two pages. <laughs> <laughs> I think in one page, actually, yes. Uh, that it, yes, that's true. So there are seven people who uh, die in one uh, terrible rush hour on page one and a half. Uh, and then we follow... There are two main protagonists. One we don't meet till later, but the main protagonist is a woman called Femi, uh, Femi Madden, who is a journalist, works for one of the big uh, news agencies, think kind of Reuters or Bloomberg, you know, that kind of thing. And she's going to work, and then she, as she's running the morning shift, she quickly realises that the seven people who've been attacked are actually her work colleagues, and they sit next to her. And it's the investigations team of this particular uh, news agency. And so she decides to, uh, she quits her job and she goes to all seven funerals. And at the end of the seventh funeral, there is a note underneath her windscreen wiper. And the note, which is typewritten, as in old fashioned typewriter, says, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. And she's not quite old enough to realize that that's a Bob Dylan lyric, but clearly someone is trying to communicate with her. She doesn't know whether she's a target or whether someone's trying to help her, but uh, she decides to spend the rest of the book uh, working out what's going on, as do we. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people uh, in our industry, you know, don't, <laughs> don't celebrate journalists, <laughs> but you really <laughs> respect it as a profession and, and kind of this book pays homage to that. I think so, yes, I, I do. You're absolutely right. I do respect journalists. It can, I think some of this came out of the fact that I spent uh, many years working out of the newsroom at Five Live and uh, talking to extraordinary uh, journalists, very talented journalists, both in the UK and around the world. So I kind of wanted my main character to be uh, a journalist. Not that Femi is very easy to get on with. Uh, she's based on a, a colleague who's sadly no longer with us. But when I worked... Um, uh, with this uh, colleague who's called Nita Mann. She was very arch, uh, very sarcastic, very difficult to work with. Uh, she'd find it very amusing that she made any impression on me at all, but she was brilliant at what she did. And so I kind of wanted Femi uh, to be like that. And did you hesitate at all to have your main protagonist be a woman? Well, originally, uh, the main protagonist was a man and the second protagonist, who is sort of unveiled as we go through the book was a woman it was the other way around and then my extremely talented uh, agent decided he said you know I think I've read this before you know so why didn't you flip it around and as soon as he said that it all fell into place and so the idea of the the, the journalist being a woman sort of worked from there and then the other protagonist is male and then we discover uh, who he is as we go through the book. So, no, when I started, it was the other way around, but it kind of made sense and it clicked into place. You know what it's like when you're, when you're trying to wrestling and uh, trying to put this jigsaw together and it's not quite working, then suddenly you make a, you make a switch and you go, all oh, right, okay, no, that works. And we went from there. 
And with something like this, I mean, there's a lot of pieces to this jigsaw. Uh, were all the pieces there at the start or did you find pieces of the jigsaw as you went? <laughs> OK, I'm going to... I don't know whether this metaphor is going to stretch <laughs> Let's to where, going. I, wanted, Let's going. where I wanted to go. <laughs> I had... The, the starting point of the story was uh, a final image which I had, which I was working towards. Uh, the story is mainly based in London but works its way to Coventry. And... Um, I spent a number of years there and there's a particular image that I was working towards. So on that jigsaw, I knew what the centrepiece of the jigsaw was going to look like. I didn't know about what was going to go around it. So that was a voyage of discovery that I went on. So I kind of knew where it was heading, but um, the rest of it was I wasn't quite sure who was going to make it and who wasn't going to make it. And because, you know, one of your books has been filmed and I know a Mad Blood Stirring's been sold uh, to be a film, how much of that is in your writer's head? When you're seeing things in your imagination, are you thinking of it in cinematic terms or is it just purely a book? Uh, well, I think it's purely a book, but you're always... a. I think I do think quite visually in in that respect and I wrote the chapters very short. So the chapters do read like brief scenes. Uh, also, I find that style quite, uh, you know, it means, oh, I'll just read another chapter before I fall asleep. Oh, I'll just read another, oh, I'll just read another one. Um, so I, the only thing that I can do is to make it uh, hopefully a page-turning book. If it becomes anything else, then then that's fantastic. But really, it's tough enough to get the book right. So I just wanted to concentrate on making sure that the jigsaw had all the right pieces in all the right places. And if then if someone wants to make a photograph of the jigsaw or turn the jigsaw <laughs> into a movie, then that's up for somebody else. Yeah, you're right. We've exhausted it now, haven't we? we I think so. We, I we, think so. Yeah. Yeah. Try it, something else. Yes, yeah. let's put the pieces back in the box and yes. onto the coffee table. And actually, it's something that was in reviews as well. How basically the... Uh, the plot of Knife Edge is very kind of ripped from the headlines. But was that a coincidence? Were you kind of weirdly zeitgeisty or did you take it from what was going on? Because I, I don't know what the, the timeline was in the writing. Uh, no, it wasn't taken from headlines at all. It, it, started, to be honest, I mean, I wish this was a, a better, a better story for you. But to be honest, it started as a typo, and I was trying to write the letters CNN, as in the broadcasters, and uh, and I was, it was in a big font, and it came out as CNX. And I, and I looked at the three, and it, CNX, I thought, that's quite a good title. And then I wrote underneath it, uh, When Television Goes Bad. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe there's a story in there. And then the television thing adapted, and then it became a news agency, and it, and it sort of developed from there. And I guess you're influenced a bit by what is happening around you. And certainly there are two types of terror which people are scared of and this came out of a conversation I had with Gordon Carrera who's the BBC security correspondent and he, there's the big terror which we read about which is international uh, and we all understand how that works and then there's the off the grid terror which is small groups of people who operate in a way that it's very difficult to detect and it's very difficult to find who these people are and I thought that would be far more exciting to write about so that's the kind of fear that hopefully runs through this book that we're not quite sure who they are or what they want because they don't have a website they don't have computers and they and they don't have phones so i guess yes so it's a yes and no answer to the question yes it is a bit influenced by the news but i didn't start at that point yeah it was the, the way the wind was blowing i'd say yeah okay yes i'll go with that and that's <laughs> another lovely metaphor let's go, let's go with the wind are there any other genres you want to venture into or are no, you are, have you no. found have you found your lane now I think I think for the interests of my publishers, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay writing um, adult thrillers. I mean, I do have other ideas of books that I like to write, but I think for the foreseeable future, writing thrillers is what I uh, enjoy doing, and I'll probably stick stick with this for, for the time being. By the way, just in terms of genre, have, have you thought of writing? Um... Uh, screenplays have you been tempted to to do that just to go you know if you have another idea that isn't a thriller would it make a good uh screenplay i have i have actually but um because i do like writing dialogue and obviously that's not the whole art of uh writing a, a screenplay but it's a lot of it but um i've had quite a few conversations with people like jack thorne um and who is one of the greatest and he's doing your I, other book isn't he well he has written uh, it's all very complicated. He has written a screenplay for Mad Blood. Okay. Yes, and now there's an, and there's another screenplay being written uh, as, as, as well. I mean, I am tempted. 
Um, and Knife Edge kind of lends itself to episodic television, I think. And if I was offered the chance of writing an episode, I would find that very difficult to turn down because uh, that has been suggested. But I think primarily the best thing is to always employ specialists. And if you can find someone who's brilliant at what they're doing, whether it be a TV producer, a movie screenwriter, whatever it is, I would rather go with the expert rather than to cobble my talents <laughs> such as they are onto theirs uh, knife edge knife edge is the best-selling thriller from simon mayo it is out in paperback now lovely to talk to you simon mayo graham thank you very much indeed good luck to you sir. all right take care of yourself bye bye-bye bye-bye the graham norton radio show virgin radio joss stone is on the line now hello joss hi how are you i'm great your voice it just it gets better there's a kind of a a clarity and a strength to it can you can you hear it changing over the years thank you um i guess so yeah i mean i've worked on it so i think if you're your your own worst critic i think that it does get better because you listen and then you go oh i don't like that and if you do that for 17 years hopefully (laughs) it will get better (laughs) and joss stone we thank you very much because you've got up super early for us Yes, it's six o'clock, but it's fine because Violet, my little babe, she was up at 5.30, so everything was perfect. Excellent. Violet's our demographic, really. She's our target audience. So uh, great that she was up listening to the show. Um, Where are (laughs) you? You're in Nashville. Yeah, close by. We're about half an hour away. It's just so, it's lovely here. It's very kind of countryfied and everybody sounds like they're in a movie, you know, it's good. And to me, I hear Joss Stone, Nashville. I think, yeah. oh, this isn't uh, this isn't a standalone track. There must be more music on the way. There is. I came here to record an album with Dave Stewart actually in November, and because we were pregnant, we we were thinking, well, we should probably live somewhere, <laughs> and we just thought, well, this will do. <laughs> Let's live here for a bit. So we stayed since November. So it's all very new. So we're not sure how long we'll stay or what's going to happen. But, yeah, so we have an album and now we have a little life. So it's uh, quite fun. Uh, what a lovely life. It sounds lovely anyway. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it may be Instagram, but it sounds gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's really, really lovely and mellow and something new and different. Because I've never spent a lot of time here. So and, but have you? So you went in November to record it. Have you recorded the album now or are you still working on it? Yep, so we did, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 tracks. And I just now need to finish my vocals and then come up with a title, I suppose, and take a picture and then pop it out maybe in July. It's going to come out on Dave Stewart's um, record label. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, it would be nice. And tell me about that that song, Walk With Me, because that song had a kind of journey. It it started Mm. as one thing and has ended up as this kind of uh, anthem. Yeah, so I write a lot with a chap named Jonathan Shorten since I was like a little girl, and he came round last year just to just to write, you know, just randomly. We didn't know what we were up to, and he'd had this song already written, but it was like a wedding song. It was like a really romantic, you know, walk with me through this life because I love you so much kind of thing. Yeah. And he'd asked me to rewrite it to make it more my own, and at the time it was when the world went mad. You know, everyone kicked off. Everyone started coming together en masse um, in support of George Floyd. And they also started separating en masse because of the, you know, political madness, how people just disagree so strongly now. And so I kind of changed it and made it a little bit about that, bringing people together rather than having this massive, you know, all of these huge divides and recognising how people do come together and they do love each other and they do look after each other. So that's really what it's about now. Well, it sounds great. It just sounds like an an anthem for our times. Oh, thanks. And talking to you, you know, Justo, new music, uh, living in Nashville, it's sort of weird to me that the last time I saw you was inside a sausage. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. How funny was that? You know what? I think that was my favourite gig I've ever had. It was so, so funny. We laughed and laughed. Excellent. <laughs> no, because I kind of, because I, the, so the, it, there were whispers, oh, that's Joss Stone. And I was thinking, oh, it yeah. can't be Joss Stone because Joss Stone's a vegan. She would never be inside a sausage. But there you were. There I was. 
See, this is why we chose the outfit. Because there was all these suggestions of, oh, you can dress up like a fairy or, you know, something magical. And I thought, no, they're going to guess me if I do that. So chips and sausage, it has to be. And, you know, we, we can do veggie sausage. Of course, yes. A nice Linda McCartney sausage. There you go, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Linda McCartney, exactly. And (laughs) tell me this, you know, because obviously we don't know who's in there, but when you're backstage, you must get an inkling of who else is hanging around. Well, I only guessed Gabrielle. That was the only one I could guess. The rest of them, I was completely... I had no idea. Because you're not allowed to talk to anyone. You've got this jumper on that says, don't speak to me. You have to wear a visor and cover up every single inch of your skin. And only like maybe three or four people know who you are. So it was really quite fun. It was like playing a game every day. It was really like being a kid again. Because you film it all in kind of one little block, don't you? Yeah, it was about two weeks. Wow. So, and each night somebody would go out. So the next morning I would go in and say, so who went out last night? And they'd be like, oh, dragon. I was like, well, who's Dragon? And they were like, oh, I don't know. They wouldn't tell me. <laughs> oh, of course, because it still has to be a secret. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. from us all, from everyone. Oh. It was just, it was so fun. So um, when it came out this year, I was watching it, not knowing who anybody was, just as much as everybody else. Yeah, the biggest shock for me was Sue Perkins. Sue Perkins, oh, I yeah. was yeah. flabbergasted. Because she sounded yeah, good. She, she really can sing. Yeah. Yeah. Not as good as you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Depends what day it is, Graham. (laughs) No, honestly, sausage, you were fabulous. Fabulous. Well, now that we know it's Joss Stone, of course. Of course you're fabulous. Tell me this, Joss. So, Walk With Me, the new single is out now. This is Mm -hmm. the first kind of solo music for you in a while. Was it just, did life get in the way or was there some reason you had a break? Yeah. um, So I did have a break from doing things like this, but I didn't have a break from singing. I went to every country in the world and played a gig, which took kind of a little bit of time. <laughs> so that's what I was busy doing. Again, your life sounds fabulous. It, may, may... <laughs> it was a bit mad. That was, ma- mad time. <laughs> was that one of those things where about halfway through you thought, I'm not sure this was a great idea? Yes, exactly, Graham. <laughs> I did think that. I thought, oh my goodness. I don't know. I mean, if it's even going to happen, you know, so you start with this massive ambition and this mission you're like yeah I'm going to play every single country and then like you say you get halfway through and you think can I do it but you can't stop because you've already done a hundred countries so yeah it really was quite quite amazing so we did about 204 countries but the very last country we landed on was um, Iran and I got there and I thought wow this is my last country I can't believe that I've done this. This this is just crazy. And they um, deported me. Oh, (laughs) not a fan. (laughs) There's a longer story to that. But they deported me because they don't um, like to have women singing there. So, and they had heard about my story and this and that. And they were like, sorry, love. And I was like, no, this is the last one. You can't deport me. (laughs) But they did. They did it really nicely, though. Very sweet. Oh, I mean... That's kind of, because it it does sound quite harsh, you're being deported from Iran. So what, they just came to your hotel and went, Sol's, no gig. No, they wouldn't let me in. Oh, (laughs) I see. So I got there and they said, "Um, excuse me, madam, you are on the blacklist. And I'm like, what blacklist? They said, you're on the blacklist. I said, why is that? I said, well, you know, you know, we don't have women singing publicly here. And I was like, oh, no, I've been scuppered. So um, that was that. And off I went on the next plane out of there. Wow. So I still got one left. Okay. One day. One day. One day. One day. Yes. One day where the world has changed, you'll be back. I know. A yeah, I gig. will. I'll be back. And very quickly, you've uh, got a new podcast called A Cup of Happy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that... that... It's a nice thing to talk about, isn't it? Happiness. So I started the podcast when the lockdown happened because... Well, I didn't really know what else to do because the gigs had disappeared and I thought, well, you know, the job is making people happy and helping people feel good and all that. I'm sure there's another way I can do it. I don't have to sing at them. (laughs) Um, So we started this podcast and it's been really interesting, you know, because I've interviewed 
a lot of doctors, lots of like clinical psychologists and um, people that specialise in mental health. And it's just been really, really interesting. And I mean, we interviewed Darren Brown. That was great because he's like the illusionist and he can really, you know, manipulate people's minds. But yeah. he's also written a book called Happy, which so he studied happiness too. That was wonderful. I love talking to him. What's your biggest takeaway so far uh, from, you know, how to be happy? If you, if you could tell mm. us one thing, what would it be? I think, um, I think being aware that you have choice and um, having a purpose, some sort of purpose. I think that that is what I take away from most of the conversations. Those, those two themes come up a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think those things have become really to the fore in in lockdown, where you suddenly kind of like the, the, the privilege yeah. of having something to do in yeah. lockdown when so many people don't. It's like yeah. even, the, you know, the fact that you couldn't sing and you kind of thought, OK, I can't actually, even though, you know, you're a mom, you know, some people are relying yeah. on you, but you've got to do something. It's a kind of such a kind of primal yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah, even if it's just painting a picture or making, I don't know, cake or something it you have to have something something to focus on otherwise it just gets depressing yeah hence there's a mountain of banana bread going moldy in britain right now (laughs) yes have you noticed how everyone started making sourdough that was like a really big fad in lockdown yeah i mean that just sounded exhausting i wasn't that desperate for a purpose (laughs) (laughs) i didn't do it either but i really feel like Oh dear, I kind of missed the boat on that one. <laughs> uh, Stone, just talking to you has been a cup of happy. Thank you very much for oh, joining good. us. Uh, new oh, single, Walk you. With Me, is out now. Uh, back to back to your daughter. She's probably she's probably very bored now. She's saying, where the hell is that mother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care of yourself, Joss. Lovely take to talk care. to you. Bye. Bye. Coming up, Dame Kelly Holmes extends her athletic skills to the kitchen in the current series of The Great Celebrity Bake Off for Stand Up to Cancer. And James Newman tells us about his track, Members, the UK's entry for this year's Eurovision Song Contest. She uh, was one of this country's most successful Olympians of all time, then turned motivational speaker, now baker. It's Dame Kelly Holmes, who should be on the line now. Good morning. Good morning, lovely. How are you? I'm so well. All the better for talking to you. Your home sounds palatial. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. No. <laughs> you, you sound like you're chatting in the Great Hall. <laughs> I know. I trying to, you know, what signals are these days? Everybody's online, aren't they? So trying to get the best signal so I can speak to you. Excellent. Well, done. are you on the roof or something? No. <laughs> I know. Does it sound really echoey? It is. It sounds. It sounds like you're in sort of, you know, the the large dining room. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got to try and find a better space. Now. No, I'm no, no. You're panel. good. No, you sound lovely. You sound lovely. I'm teasing you. I'm Excellent. teasing you. Okay. So now I was saying this earlier on the show. You don't look like a woman who has a sweet tooth. Uh, but is, is baking a brand new skill for you? I have a really sweet tooth, but baking is a skill I have never had. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't know, after the show, I'm not sure if I still do have, um, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I do have a sweet tooth, but I've never really been into cakes and baking. My mum was. Hence why I decided to go on the show. So what, what's your uh, treat of choice? Is it like sweets or biscuits or what is it? I'm sweet. Sweets and chocolate. Oh, chocolate, like to die for. But oh. nothing with, like, I don't, I don't like any of those with alcohol and that in. It's got to be sort of dark chocolate, milk chocolate. I mean, I could name everything. Yeah, Lovely. I like, I fool myself when I'm driving. Somehow when I'm in the car, that seems like a calorie-free zone. So if mm-hmm. I get petrol, I'll get myself one of the, you know, the Cadbury whole nut. Because I think, well, yep. ho- hazelnuts, I mean, they're healthy, right? So that's... <laughs> Well, they've got nuts in them. Yeah, see? You know? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm with you. But, I just have this theory that if I, if I work hard, I train hard. So um, as in I keep myself fit. So it's like, you know, word doesn't matter, does it? Balance, yeah. balance. In yes, life exactly. You've got to enjoy life. Uh, but tell me this. So you get the call saying, would you like to do Celebrity Bake Off? You think, hmm, I've never baked anything in my life. Yes, I'll do it on television. Um, well, well, I know it's a great cause. I know it's a great cause. But uh, were you? did someone have to talk you into it? Did someone push yeah. you into it? Did someone convince you? Yes. But I got the call. I said no. <laughs> and, then, and then I said, OK. My mum would never have imagined me going. So my mother passed away from myeloma in 2017. And honestly, the worst day of my life 
ever. I mean, even, you know, I've, I've been known for a lot of mental health problems along the way, and that would just, oh, ripped my heart apart. So she liked baking and she liked, um, you know, doing eaten messes, which is the meringue with the whole strawberry thing and all of that lot. And it was just, I was asked to do it. And I just thought to myself, I don't know, something came in my head. Right, I know my mum would never, ever imagine me on that show. I could just imagine her laughing her head off that I would be on it. So I decided to do it. I have no experience whatsoever. Oh, but, I mean, lovely to do it as a as a tribute and a celebration of, of your mother's life. But did that make it sort of emotional when you were dealing with kind of the pots and the pans and the things that you associate with your mother? Um, it was more, so I took a picture of my mother there because I did an eat and mess tart. So... Um, yeah, so I took a picture of her, so I did that one, but it was just it's such a great cause, uh, and obviously a lot of people have been affected by cancer of some kind in their life, or know somebody, and, uh, you know, like for me it was about going on there because of the cause, and also, you know, doing something with my mum in mind, and just knowing that she'd be laughing and smiling, and it made me laugh more than anything. Oh, good, I'm glad, I'm glad. Who are you, who are you in the tent with? Who, who else is on your show? next Tuesday oh so I'm in James McAvoy <gasps> film star I know right it's like yeah can he bake he can't bake he's good oh is he <laughs> oh, that's a, oh actually that'll be why good. that's why he, he said yes secret training <gasps> yeah sure he had some secret training you know when you look at your opposition like you would on the track like mm, you're good <laughs> you're good I could just tell he was so calm <laughs> uh, so, so calm. James McAvoy and who else? Uh, Anne Marie. Oh, the singer. Yeah. Yeah, she was lovely, really good. Oh my God, some of her stuff was brilliant. And David. And do you know what? Going to kill me. Could never remember his name. Is it David Bedil? Is it David Bedil? There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> you saved me. Yeah. No, you were out running when he was on telly. Yeah, you. <laughs> But he's, oh, I saw him on Taskmaster. He's quite competitive. I mean, what was it yeah. like? And, and talk about competitive. I mean, Dame Kelly Holmes is there. So how, <laughs> that's the problem. How tense, what, how tense was it? Was it quite tense in the tent? It is. I'm telling you, it's pressure. I went, walked in the tent. I was like, wow. Because you see it on television. And most places you see on television look bigger than they are now. This looks huge. And you get given your station. And so I was at my station. I was all excited, like a little giggly kid. Because I was like, oh, my God, I'm actually on it. <laughs> and then it kind of dawned on me that I actually have to do something. And it was funny. The weekend before, I was... Um, having physio in Leeds because it was just during that time we had a bit of reprieve for our lockdown and um, I was having physio and a friend of mine the physio said oh her friend's a baker so, so <laughs> shall she get around I said oh my god please get around so she said to me well, what are you going to cook or what do you want to cook I went I have no idea just give me some ideas I said oh well, what about eat a mess because we have to do a tart and then um, like a cake and you have to do something that's an animal so I was like oh I'll just do a bear and then so she she was there with her daughter showing me and I was like I have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> anyway I finished it we were there for hours like literally hours and I finished it and I'm telling you if I put the pictures of what happened that day they look like I am a pro <laughs> turn a week later <laughs> it's a different story one last question on the, the bake-off uh, Kelly did you have to self-isolate with the other celebrities before the bake-off or was it sort of socially distanced and things um, no it's socially distanced and we were allowed to make sure we had a negative test before we went on there oh okay um, and everyone was fine it was all good yeah. everyone was fine yeah yeah good good <laughs> yeah. have you done much filming and work and stuff in, in lockdown um, I've actually been doing so many speaking engagements. So I do motivational speaking and normally globally traveling around like lots of people and had to learn the skill of uh, what Zoom was all about. <laughs> um, I wish I'd shares in that. And then um, speaking to a screen which you hope this three, five, six, eight hundred people that are meant to be online are actually looking at you, listening to you, and not just like carrying on making their dinner or something. Wow. Yeah, so it's slightly different, but um, yeah, I've been very lucky to be able to keep 
going. Yeah. And in terms of motivation, I mean, mm. you, you talk there about how you stay fit and you train really hard so you can eat your, <laughs> eat your chocolates in the car. <laughs> but so how do you motivate yourself to train that hard when you don't have competition in your life, when you don't have, you know, you're not, there, there isn't a yeah, Commonwealth Games or there isn't an Olympics coming up? Um, well, I suppose it's a change, you know, it is a change, but I've been retired for such a long time now that, you know, my normal way of doing something is that I, I train people as well. So um, I have a fitness brand, Military in Motion. I just started up doing lockdown, actually, and I, I just enjoy keeping fit. It's, you know, it isn't cliche anymore to say that it's really good for my mental health as well as my physical health. And for me, it, I just feel good training. So my motivation is one, you know, I... I do not like ageing, Graham, so I'm 39 plus 11. So as long as I stay with the 39, I don't care really where the numbers go. Um, So I want to keep myself looking fit. I want to feel fit for my health generally. And I try and keep fit to motivate other people, whether it's their starting point or, you know, they're already avid runners or fitness fanatics. For me, it's about how do I get someone to be that best version of themselves, both mentally and physically. And, you know, keeping active is a great way of combining both of those things. It's odd, isn't it? You, you know the way there's, there is a circuit for kind of retired tennis players, you know, the top mm. names of tennis come back and do games against each other. It's weird that there's no circuit for, because there must be loads of people like you who, you know, were, you know, big athletes yeah. and then retired, but are still super fit. I mean, you could still do it, maybe not at the level you were at, but you could still do it against other people. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I, I could still do in the real, in the normal world that we might have back very soon. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, you know, I could still go and do the park runs or the ten k's. I did London Marathon what in two thousand sixteen. Um <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, there is a there is actually a circuit that you can still do it for. It's not veterans. I keep bringing the um, military terminology, but for well, maybe it is vets. Oh, it's vets. It's called vets. But yeah. no way, I'm not, I'm not going on my track trying to, you know, because everyone would be comparing me against what I ran as an Olympian, wouldn't they? I'd be like, oh my God, look at her, she's getting old and slow. Oh, stop <laughs> it, stop it. People would go, look at her, she's timeless, timeless. <laughs> um, and when you watch, oh. when you watch uh, athletes now, you know, because you still hold the British records for the 800 mm. metres and the 1,000 metres, do, do you, like when you're watching people, do you wish them well, but not too well? <laughs> like, do you kind of think, oh, don't, don't, don't go faster than me? <laughs> well, I had, used to have a lot more records than that, so they've already been beaten. <laughs> but um, no, do you know what? I, I really enjoy seeing young people strive because, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, young people get a, a big, Rap, you know, I started a charity in 2008 to help disadvantaged young people in areas of deprivation, and they're stereotyped into being, you know, kids don't have, you know, don't have any sort of um, focus on anything. They're always getting into trouble, and that's not right. It's about opportunity. But then, on the other hand, I love to see young people, whether that's in sport, music, art, whatever it is. Um, fulfill that talent you know when I see these singing shows and you see the young 15 16 year olds on the you know whatever it is um, I just think oh my god good good on you you know having something to focus that's same with the athletes there's some really great athletes Gemma Reekie and um, out in a Scottish girl at the moment who is like world-class 1500 meters runner um, and a couple of other uh, 800-1500 meter runners that if they get a chance to go to Tokyo this year I absolutely believe they're coming back medalists. Oh wow because it is amazing the, the opportunities that sport can provide for young people isn't it? Yeah. Are you looking to write any more books? Yeah I'd like to I mean I've got a few kind of bigger things in in progress which will probably come on your show after <laughs> I spoke about them um, this year Ooh, that yes. I'd like to do I think um, you know last year for so many reasons made people think about their own selves and their lives and you know what they're doing and what they want to do and also kind of what they've got to say and I think there's a few things that I'd like to be able to say in the right way um, this year so I probably off the back of that do a book. I've done five, but you know this next one probably will be a lot different context. Wow! So this is going to be a big year for you. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all went through last year with 
complete disruption in our lives, didn't we? And, yeah. You know, when I talk to people... I say we've all gone through it, but we've all gone through it very differently. And I have to recognise, you know, I'm very lucky I have a garden. I live semi-rural. I have lakes to go and walk around, which I'm going straight after this because I have a bench down there for my mother. So I go and put some flowers on there. Um, you know, and, but some people have been very isolated or in little um, studio flats. And you just think, like, you know, people's lives were so disrupted. Then I got COVID in October and I got it really badly. And I probably suffered for about eight to ten weeks. I wow. wasn't myself. And during that time, I was just like, wow, you know, suddenly you start to just question so many things. You know, we're lucky. We're very lucky to have woken up today and to do what we do. And I always recognize and think to myself, you know, there's so many other people that aren't so lucky. So I want to make the most of life. But also being in the public eye and having a voice, I think sometimes you've got to use your voice that makes a massive difference to people that don't have a platform and a voice and you do it really well and I do it to lots of things but I think there's a lot of other things I could do better I think it'll be amazing uh, uh, really really amazing so good luck to you this year Kelly Holmes and uh, and, and and good luck on Tuesday on, on Channel 4 it's been really lovely to talk to you you're an inspiration take care of yourself oh, thank you and my mother loved you by the way Greg oh. so, um, on this Mother's Day and she absolutely adored you so thank you you for having me. Well, say hello to her when you put the flowers on your bench. I will today. Thank All you. All right, darling. Take care. All right. All right bye-bye. bye-bye. Lots bye. of love. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. James Newman's on the line now. Hi, James. Hey, Graham. How are you doing? I'm very well. Congratulations on that track. It is great. Really great. Thank you so much. And can I just say I loved being called a hero? That was that was a nice thing to hear. Well, but you are. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> as you know, it's not an easy job. Everyone has an opinion. <laughs> and, uh, off, you know, and it's a difficult thing to do to kind of go, no, I'm doing this. I'm going to represent the United Kingdom. So well done you. How? So talk us through, I mean, this never-ending Eurovision. <laughs> you must be thinking, dear, why did I say yes? <laughs> Two years of my life. Uh, so, uh, so talk us through uh, when you... So they decided decided quite quickly that you couldn't have the same song. So uh, what was the process like then for you? Did you have a, a bunch of songs in a drawer? Is Embers a brand new song? What was the timeline, all of that? So obviously when it got cancelled, uh, it took a while to find out if I was doing it. Obviously just the BBC wanted to work out if it was going to happen and everything. And then when they asked me, I think it was uh, the summer, and they were like, we'd love you to do it. So obviously I was like, yes, great. You know, I've got to finish what I started. And then... Um, I so when we sat down to write it at the end of last year, I was like, you know, what kind of song do people want to hear, and what do I want to sing on the stage in front of loads of people in May when hopefully, you know, we're, we're coming out of this really rubbish time. So, um, one of the writers that was with Connor Blake was like, we should write a song called Embers because you know it's like it's about the glow in the fire that hasn't burnt out and it can be reignited. And and we were saying that's that's people coming back together with people you love and your friends. Uh, and then we were like, let's put a big brass drop in it and turn it into a banger. So that's kind of how we got to that point. Well, it is terrific. Honestly, it's really good. You must be really pleased with it. And have you, I mean, I'm sure everyone's asking this. So have you listened to many of the songs in the competition? Yeah, loads. I was watching the Melody Festival last night, which was great. And the guy that won Tuss um, with the song called Voices, I think it's wicked. Um, and then I was listening to Victoria today. She's uh, got this song called Growing Up. It's Getting Old, which is awesome. And uh, Leslie Roy from Ireland. I love her song, Maps. There's some really good songs, so there's a bit of good competition there. Yeah, I must say, I think it's going to be really... It, it'll be a really interesting competition this year, I think, because... Uh, you know, because it, it it just has a different vibe. And as you say, you know, everyone's kind of saying, okay, what do I want to hear now? What song, what message do I want to send out in the world? So all the songs have a kind of a, I don't know, they have a more depth or more meaning than I think they have had before. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, everyone's put a lot of thought into it and everyone's had a lot of time on their hands to kind of really craft, craft the songs. But I think, you know, like for me, I wanted to do something that was just a really good time and you know, hopefully there'll be some audience in the arena. Who knows? But you know, for people at home on the TV, yeah, no, I just want to, I just want to do something fun. Yeah, because I think for if you're sitting at home, whatever, whatever it's like in the arena, I think if you're sitting at home, you will see an amazing show. They are going to put on a full big show, and all the countries, hopefully, uh, you know, if if they 
test negative and all those things, they will be there. And your video, hello, it's quite touchy-feely, <laughs> a little bit passionate. So uh, does that reflect what it's going to be like on stage? What's this? What, do you know, any, can you give us any clues on the staging? Uh, I don't want to give too much away because obviously the stage is a massive thing. And um, But, you know, you can imagine there's going to be maybe a bit of dancing from me, which I might have been rehearsing the other day. Ooh. And um, <laughs> there's going to be, yeah, it's going to, I just want it to kind of reflect the video a little bit, but also, you know, turn it into a stage show. Um, and there's going to be a lot, a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot of fun happening on stage. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, have, have, have suffered in, in lockdown and everything. But uh, your man, Wim Hof, Wim Hof, he's yeah. had an amazing year. I'd never heard of him before you, you mentioned him to me last year. <laughs> and now everyone's doing it. Everyone's cold swimming. Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's like it really helped, especially through, you know, like everything we've been through for anxiety and stuff, like doing the breathing techniques in the morning and then getting in. I've got like a... Um, a cold a freezer down the side of my house that's like um, filled up with water and I get in that every day and like kind of sit there and, and go through the go through the cold pain but it really like helps me clear my mind and stuff so yeah it's been it's a it's a great technique to use well the neighbors must love that <laughs> <laughs> what's that noise it's James Newman screaming James in an old again. disused freezer <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah, have you? Did you move to London, or were you living in London anyway? Uh, I've lived in London for about twelve years now. Oh, have you? Okay, for some York... reason I thought you didn't. I yeah. don't know why. No, no, I'm from the Yorkshire Dales originally, but I've been been down here for about twelve years. Oh, okay. So when I spoke to you on Zoom, that because you yeah. you had an, your house is extraordinary. It's very uh, <laughs> it's very palatial. Um, you've got kind of big ceramic <laughs> ornaments and things. Did you just do that for the Zoom, or is that what your house looks like? That was what it, lo- it used to look like. That and now um, my wife had a change of change of plan, so we've gone a bit more minimal now. Um, but that, you know, it, was, it fitted the time. I think it was a, a fun, you know, fun summer at home with loads of crazy stuff going on in the house. So, yeah. And uh, tell me this: Do you know when you're heading off to uh, Rotterdam? Uh, yeah. So I think we go like ten days before, um, and then we get locked in the hotel when we get there because obviously to keep everyone safe. Yeah. Um, and then we get like ferried to the well, driven to the arena every day, and then back to the hotel and get locked in. So there's going to be a lot of room service, dance move practicing, and uh, hopefully I can get like an ice bath in my bed, in my room in the hotel. We'll see. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they can arrange that. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. there'll be a canal nearby. You can just you can just get get in that. Uh, listen, you, the best of luck to you uh, on May the twenty second. I'll I'll see you and talk to you before that. I'm sure, but uh, that song deserves to do really, really well, uh, James. Uh, so good luck to you and take care. Bye. Thanks so much, James. All right, bye-bye. talk to you along the way. Bye bye. Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning and the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Speak to you then. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio.